0: Štan an indó askeige e Táim imíchttaí e dhéhsachcht ar end of chacht a máchan seo gur féidir é chor iúigh ceart lena win féin. Skilti fis Turmi. Tá sé nach ara igornamion g gonamán an che sinna eá. Bhí antám a gin ná grh ááchttum fracht séthrin grn Shachten. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. Hello, you're welcome to the Big Tech Show with me, Adrian Weckler, the tech editor of the Irish and Sunday Independent. And this week, we're joined by Dr. Dermot O'Brien, Trinity College Dublin's Chief Innovation and Enterprise Officer, to talk about a 1.1 billion euro plan for a new innovation district on five acres in Dublin's city centre. Uh, Dr. Brian, welcome to the program.
1: Hi, Adrian. Thank you.
0: I, sh- I said program. I should say podcast. I've been listening. I've been mainlining radio over the last week, and I, I you know, here I am. I think I'm in a program. It's only it's only a mere podcast. Um, to to sum up, the new innovation district: five acres at the bottom of Pierce Street, um, a one point one billion euro plan or inve- of investment, one hundred and fifty million hoped for by the government. The rest in philanthropy, borrowing, and industry from uh, private sector companies. They'll have roughly half of the campus, and I think academics to make up the uh, the other half. Um, and the goal here, apparently, is to create something we don't have, which is a very high-end research dis- district that attracts a lot of activity, a lot of investment. Um, other European uh, research research districts like Station F in Paris or areas of London um, and e- even Kendall Square in Boston with MIT and all those uh, interesting uh, institutions are being cited as a comparison. The one question I would start with is if you're putting all of those big companies, particularly multinationals, in with academics and the rubbing shoulders. I mean, is there a danger that that then becomes just essentially recruiting ground for corporates from academia, from the college?
1: Yeah, we wouldn't see that as a primary concern. I mean, the way we think about this is that uh, what you see around the world is that innovation is kind of how one innovates has become different over the last couple of decades. So if you go back 20 years, what you would see is that Companies kind of innovated by themselves a little bit in isolation or you had that kind of genius in the lab kind of mindset who do something that would come through. But today, innovation really requires kind of collaboration in a way we didn't have before. So collaboration across different disciplines. Mm. You know, I'm not just talking about university disciplines, but industry as well. But also collaboration because a lot of companies now do open innovation where they partner with universities or they acquire startups. And so if you really want to be an innovation player you need to be able to bring all of those components together at scale so when we started out on this journey it was like how does trinity uh, use this uh, piece of land we have in grand canal key to really unlock the potential that we have in dublin because we've got great global corporates we've got a vibrant startup system growing year on year we've got good universities but we haven't found a way to connect them all together to create that kind of deep innovation ecosystem So I guess to go back to the question, does that mean we're going to see this kind of movement of people from the universities into companies? I think what we'll probably find is that our PhD graduates and our master's graduates will move into those companies in a more kind of fluent way, which is probably a good thing. Will we lose faculty into the companies? It probably will happen to some extent. But on the other side, I guess what we'd really like to think is that by creating this district, we'll be able to attract better quality faculty, better quality students over to Dublin. So we'll be able to kind of replace and and create that kind of talent hub that we really see this as being the core of. Yeah, because we're talking about PhD
0: and master's level here. And PhD in particular, I mean, big companies love PhD students. They usually try to hire them in or lure them in um, for two, three, four times what they might expect to make financially uh, in university, uh, you know, for example. So, but even if that doesn't happen, and even if there is a nice balance there, a related question, I suppose, that has applied to third level, particularly with tech companies in the last decade, is whether those academic institutions, their own courses are essentially becoming feeder courses for tech that the big companies are interested in themselves, whether by you know, pressure on the universities or some other way, if those, a couple of big companies decide that they're particularly interested in one flavor of machine learning or AI or, or whatever, m- maybe voice recognition, does that then influence the college to start focusing, to put more research down those avenues? And if, is that a good thing or a bad thing or is it a neutral thing?
1: Yeah, I mean, there is this idea that uh, universities risk being, uh, well, industry becomes the tail that wags the dog of, of higher education. I mean, I think there's a sense that that's probably a little bit overstated and to some extent, I think a little bit naive. The reality is that universities need to work in partnership and collaboration with the private sector and have always done so. You know, And indeed, the great institutions in the world at the moment have very strong relationships with industry. What's really important in all of that is that you've got the independence of the academic to determine the direction of where they want to take the research. So there's two things I think you have to unpack. The first is, should we be del- delivering master's programmes that uh, industry are excited by and are interested in recruiting people from? I would say that's a good thing for the university to be doing. It means that you're at the cutting edge of delivering programmes that is relevant to not just the job market, but where industry is moving as a kind of collective force from a research perspective, from an innovation perspective. Should you should universities only be doing research in areas directed by industry? Absolutely not. And in fact, if you talk to industry, they would say, in my experience, that that's not what they want to see. Because what why industries collaborate with universities is because they want to um, they, they want that kind of disruptive thinking that will come out that they're not getting within their own research labs within their own co- within their own companies or organizations and so if you just become An institution that does what industry wants contract research pretty quickly you lose the kind of intellectual kind of foundation that differentiated you in the first place and you become less attractive to industry so i think it's really important that that balance there you need the relationship you need the partnership collaboration is good but the researchers within the universities do need to be able to kind of dictate the direction that they go in in terms of their research Mm. Um, part of this will be funded through philanthropy
0: So it's 150 million, which is hoped for by the government. I know that there's still talk of where exactly it will come from within different parts of of the government. The government are kind of still playing it a little bit conservative on that in terms of what they are saying. It's your understanding, I think, that there's a basic commitment to come forward with that funding. That That's right, isn't it?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, where that funding commitment comes from is that when we launched the vision for the Grand Canal Innovation District with the Shock in July 18, the Taoiseach... Um, put together a group chaired by Martin Fraser at Grand Canal Innovation District Advisory Group that brought together kind of industry people and local community people and university presidents. And that group wrote a report indicating that this was a good idea. It should be done for the benefit not just of uh, Dublin, but Ireland as a whole. And to deliver on this kind of ambition would require uh, 15% contribution from the state. So that report got approved through Cabinet and then got published last Friday. So we do need to continue to work with government to find out where the money comes from, but our sense is that government has really endorsed the need to deliver on this kind of project. and So the rest of the 800, 900 million, whatever that the sum
0: is, will come from a combination of industry themselves, developing uh, buildings on this five-acre site. And also from philanthropy. Yeah. Um, and last year Trinity embarked on a long-term 400 million euro philanthropy drive, described at the time as the largest in the in the history um, of the island. And um, how how does that work? Who,
1: who who would you be targeting for that f- philanthropy? And yeah, so the campaign it's called Inspiring Generations. Mm. That kind of has two primary goals. I mean, one is raising capital, and the other is kind of getting volunteer hours from alumni involved in the institution. But on the kind of raising capital side. I mean, it's a range of different people. Clearly, it's alumni. um, And uh, there's a big kind of commitment to communicate better with our alumni, not just in Ireland, but, but globally. But then in some ways, it's beyond alumni. It's individuals who see that they want to invest in Ireland, who want to have Ireland as a kind of... Uh, competitive location for education for research and innovation and see an investment in Trinity through philanthropy as a really powerful way to go and do that so they'd be the kind of two streams of kind of people that we would be targeting I mean 400 million is a lot of money it's a lot of money and uh, for an Irish institution maybe not for an American so the way those campaigns work is that um, uh, we've been running the campaign in what they call kind of silent mode for a number of years the public mode kind of kicked off uh, last year so we're well on the way to that 400 million target. Uh, we're about three quarters of the way there. Um, and we're looking to continue to close that out over the next kind of couple of years. So,
0: And what is the pitch typically to, let's say it's a wealthy individual that you've identified as a potential um, philanthropy donor. Is, is there a sort of a sliding scale where you can think, well, if he or she donates, you know, Ten million, we'll name a building after
1: them. If it's a little bit less, we'll just say thanks and hold a dinner in the. How, how, how does how does that work? Yeah, it's not quite as kind of scripted as that because you have to respond to the individual. Ever since everybody who is philanthropic has their own motivation for doing it. And so Trinity would have had huge range of gifts. So we have uh, the alumni who's graduated, who gives 50 euros into some kind of campaign that they have a particular interest to, right through to Martin Nocton, who gave 25 million last year to it's support the development yeah, yeah. of the uh, E3 Research Institute and the E3 Foundry. Why did, that, why did he do that, do you know? Did he say at the time? Well, I... Uh, I suppose not for me to speak for Martin, but my understanding is that, you know, he believes in investing in things that he thinks are world-class and can really help differentiate Ireland. He has a kind of great understanding that Trinity represents, you know, from a higher education perspective, the best that Ireland can offer. And he's particularly interested, obviously, because of his own background in terms of Glenn Dimplex being a company that I suppose is an engineering company at heart in engineering and understanding how we can uh, develop that next generation of engineers to, to really ensure that we have more kind of vibrant, uh, hard tech businesses coming out in Ireland that can be globally successful. And so, to, to go back to the process, I, I appreciate you're probably
0: not the person who you know calls up these people and 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 asks about it. But I'm again, I'm wondering how the mechanics of approaching somebody like Martin goes. Is it that there's an approach? Is it that there, uh, you know? He's friendly with people, you know, high high up in the college. Or or how do the mechanics
1: of that actually work? Well, in the case of uh, Martin, he's had a relationship, philanthropic relationship with the university for a while. So uh, if you roll the clock back um, to um, the mid-2000s, he would have given five million euros to creation of the Nocton Institute in Trinity, which is where the Science Gallery is based and where uh, CRAN, the Nanoscience Research Institute, was based. And at that time, that five million gift unlocked between research funding and government funding and competitive funding, over a quarter of a billion of other investment has come into that area. Mm. And so philanthropy like to see that their funding comes in to take something that uh, can be great and turn it into something that's really globally excellent. The one thing philanthropy doesn't want to do the average philanthropist doesn't want to do is they don't want to be a subvention for the lack of government funding so you know the idea that they're going to give funding in that really should be coming from other sources to cover and paper over cracks is not what it's about it's about translating a project from being great into being really globally excellent I was going to get on to a lack of government funding because looked at it another
0: way I think I read last year that Trinity's own budget was 60% state funding. I think it's now around 40%, so somewhere around that order. And when you combine that with the college going on a 400 million euro philanthropy drive, it does look like the college is now having to look for other ways, including philanthropy, to essentially uh, pay for itself and pay for its courses and, and pay, f- pay for its own uh, its own place in the world. I mean, is that, is that a fair reading of that?
1: Oh, I think it is fair. Yeah. So again, back in 08, actually, I think the uh, state contribution would have been more than 60%, maybe closer to 70%. At the moment, it's down about 35%. Importantly, in that window, we've also seen the revenue in the institution grow from uh, being around 300 million to closer to 400 million. So in an environment where you're changing your largest funder significantly downwards and still seeing overall growth, you know, that shows a complete reshaping of the finances of the university. And that's driven really by four components. Uh, one is by international students. So we've grown the number of international students that come in from about 8 to 10% up to around 20%. That sees growth. We've grown significantly the commercial revenue in the university, very much ensuring that that revenue gets targeted back towards the academic mission. But we've grown how... It's like the Book of cows or of Cal, renting rooms out. Exactly. Exactly those kind of pieces. Um We've very much uh, grown the uh, research side of the university. So we are now over uh, 100 million euros a year in research activity, which is all won competitively, typically from Europe or indeed state funding. And the last piece, the kind of fourth cylinder of that engine is philanthropy. You know, and uh, we really have to recognise that if we're going to sustain the quality of the institution in this changing economic environment, then philanthropy has a different kind of role to play. Now, Trinity has always done well philanthropically. But we perhaps were are not as kind of organised around that as being a reliable and ongoing kind of uh, income stream. And the current province has very much seen that that's the requirement actually in the modern age for a university to be globally competitive. You need high levels of philanthropy. So there's been a big focus on that too. So a huge reshifting away from government looking at other sources of income. Mm-hmm. Um, Does that change the thinking in terms of what Trinity is? I mean, the college
0: itself and what it believes... it interprets its own mission to be and its own place within Ireland and, you know, how it interacts with citizens in Ireland. For example, you said that 20% of the students now are foreign students. I'm wondering, could, could that get to 50%, for example? And if it did, um, you know, is it, if the if the proportion of Trinity's budget from state sources keeps going down, wouldn't the college kind of be entitled to say to anybody who pipes up and says, you know, um, uh, is of Ireland, uh, and it shouldn't just be a money-making enterprise um, to make money off. In that instance, well, what do you expect us to do? I mean, we, you know, the, running a college is, is very, very expensive. The amount of money we get proportionately in terms of what we require is less and less from state uh, sources. We're trying to compete with not only European universities but other universities around the world who have much bigger budgets who are much better supported by their by their governments i'm I'm just
1: wondering does that come into it does you know and i I think you said (coughs) something to me that's important there which is that universities are in a global competition for resources and talent you know so when you think of the education system as a whole primary and secondary schools clearly we want to have excellent primary and secondary schools um, But they don't compete in that kind of global uh, arena where you're looking to attract international faculty or indeed the best students that can come to really make the institution what it can be. So one can't just think about Trinity and how it operates in a local context and say, well, it's doing very well compared to peer institutions within Ireland. Therefore, everything's great. That's not the benchmark that I think Trinity should be using. And frankly, I don't think it's the benchmark that I think Ireland should be using. Ireland should want to have the ambition that we've got one or two, at least, institutions that can play on the world stage for it from a higher education and, perspective. And I wanted to ask you about that because
0: that it's not clear that Ireland does have that ambition from for anyone who, who looks at uh, the, the colleges and society in general. So the position that Irish University would universities would have, is that something has to give here. Either we need more state funding or we need to be freed up to be able to raise money um, in in different ways. Um, And there's a very tepid response, from not only from government, because in Ireland, TDs in government tends to represent public opinion pretty accurately. There doesn't seem to be an awful lot of national ambition for Irish universities, um, I think, uh, certainly not in the last five, ten years, compared to other issues that make the news, compared to other issues that people uh, talk about. So when you talk about Ireland being ambitious for universities, I wonder, is that ambition actually here in the country? Well,
1: I think it depends how one wants to think about it. Uh, I certainly think there's ambition in the country for universities. So there's a huge focus across Uh, every kind of part of Irish society for their uh, children, particularly to get into university and to have that university education. There's a great understanding in this country, I think, that education has played a huge role in kind of dragging Ireland economically forward over the last 50 years But isn't that only to a certain level? Like, like it seems that culturally
0: over the last, for as long as I can remember, I'm in my 40s now... The real imperative is, and the example that you raised, you know, put your kids into college, for example, but it's to put your kids into a college so that they're at a certain minimum level of education. There's no real ambition for a very high level of education, for an elite level of education. In fact, the word elite, I would submit is is actually a dirty word politically in, in Ireland for things like colleges um, and, and universities. There doesn't seem to be much of a... There's there not much public pl- pride in it, in the way there would be, maybe in other countries, for
1: for elite universities that they have there, or may, yeah. may, maybe I'm misreading it. Yeah, I, I think there's some truth to that. I mean, I think um, I, I think the challenge actually comes down to the very easy misconception or, or, or uh, um, um, use of the word. So. There's a big difference between elite and elitist, you know, and uh, one often feels that you are being elitist by having ambition to be elite, by really trying to excel and to do something that's exceptional for the country. The real challenge about being an elite university, but not elitist, is to make sure you're open to everybody who can come in. Uh, in an Irish context, that's relatively straightforward because the CAO system is very transparent. So anybody really who, I mean, Trinity doesn't control to some extent who comes to it. It's controlled through the CA application system. And there's a huge focus now as well through the Trinity TAP programme and ensuring those from disadvantaged backgrounds get an opportunity to come and attend the institution. And there's a significant targets in the new strategic plan around growing those numbers again. So... I think Trinity is trying to play that role of being an elite institution for Ireland, but being very conscious about not being an elitist institution and how we behave. And I think that's the trick, you know, because people hear one thing or something said, maybe they hear it slightly differently, which is that, you know, there's this capacity about being elitist. I mean, the way I would think about it is... um, If we think, I mean, everybody always goes back to things like sport as analogies, but if you think about a rugby team or a soccer team and you think about where they're ranked in the world, people kind of get clarity around what that means, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, uh, I think there needs to be a sense that actually how universities are ranked globally does matter to the country. So Trinity would have been ranked as a top 50 global institution only a decade ago. In the last decade, we've slipped outside the top 100. Well, outside the, that, I mean, the last Depending times. on rankings, yes. Yeah, yeah. so but the, the last Q, times the, uh, 164
0: higher. yeah One, six, four. That's a drop of over 40 places. And, I mean, I was, because I was tweeting about this, and someone came back to me, I think actually, I think it was Brian Lucy actually came back to me from Trinity. And he said, well, look, yes, uh, he, he, we, it's, it's just the Trinity, you know, Trinity scores haven't gone up by as many as uh, as other university scores. But actually, it still is. It's the same thing. It's a relative decline yeah. in influence. And I
1: think that's important. Um, the performance of Trinity has remained relatively, you know, consistent over that period. What we're seeing is actually significant investment, particularly in Asia, in higher education, which is seeing a huge amount of Asian universities come up the rankings and we're seeing what are called excellent strategies in countries like France or in Germany where they're realizing that actually they need to create differentiation across their higher education system and instead of having you know 30 great institutions they want you know six to ten that are really competitive globally within their kind of countries you know and so there's been different strategies at play in different jurisdictions now that's been coupled with a decade of Underinvestment in higher education within Ireland, which I think is well recognised and understood through the Cassells report and other kind of government reports, mm. so we've had that kind of you know perfect storm in some ways where we've got strategic and investment coming into other jurisdictions, lack you know coupled with a lack of investment here that's seen that kind of decline. You know, do you think that Trinity will ever get back into the top fifty or one hundred again? Oh, I think absolutely. That has to be our ambition and aspiration, you know. But how? I mean, given what you've just said and given... Well, I think one of the things behind the uh, Grand Canal Innovation District project is about really understanding about how do we uh, take control of our own destiny and create the kind of infrastructure and environment that can attract the best faculty, that can attract the research funding, that can attract the best students, that will completely change that perception of Trinity and indeed Ireland as a location for education and for innovation. And so, you know, if you look at Singapore as a great example, you know, uh, Singapore about a decade ago, well, it's probably 15 years ago or so now, made a huge kind of focus on higher education and two universities are particularly in terms of real investment and growth, you know. And that was done on the back of these kind of large scale projects. And the challenge here really is how do we create a project that puts Trinity, Dublin and Ireland on the international map? How do we create a kind of visibility for our ambition here in this country that resonates with international faculty, international uh, companies and investors? So you mentioned faculty, for example, but what? why would a star lecturer
0: or a star professor... Or somebody who is very very highly ranked. Why would they consider, not just Trinity, but an Irish university, if they can be paid three times as much in another country? If that you know that country and that university is expanding uh, uh, quickly. If when they walk through the campus, the labs that are on offer, it's not just. Sort of one computer for two students or one lab which has seen better days but it's actually state-of-the-art stuff and there's millions being invested every year
1: like i'm from a faculty point of view how do you attract well i suppose different uh, different faculty of different reasons for coming and it's not as simple as a kind of uh, a stock answer but i think From a research perspective, when you look at Ireland, we do have uh, some world-class researchers based within our ecosystem. And we do have, thanks to SFI and the PRTLI programmes, we have about 15 to 20 years now of consistent investment in research infrastructure and research capability. Is it enough? I think it's below what it needs to be. But in certain areas, it's created pockets of centres of research that are truly seen as being excellent. So in areas like immunology or nanoscience or uh, telecommunications or uh, genetics, you know, we actually have research communities here that will be benchmarked amongst some of the best in the world. And so when you're recruiting faculty into those areas, they see Ireland as being a location of great strength in those areas. I think the challenge is when you're trying to build new capacity in in different areas that perhaps we don't have the international track record in. Then it's about trying to find the one or two kind of key leaders who can drive that. How that's typically happened to date is that we've been using things like uh, European research grants as a great uh, carrot for that. So the European Research Council, if you get one of those grants, (coughs) uh, brings uh, typically in the region of two and a half to five million euros of research funding over five years. And that's enough at any scale, to attract a a faculty member over. They see that and they go, okay, that that gives me huge independence for five years to build up my research, build up my track record and do it in an environment that's very supportive of, you know, uh, academic freedom and the right to do their own research. So there are strengths to the system here. You know, we just need to build on those strengths. Mm -hmm. And just going back to the foreign students, do you think
0: that um, Trinity will inevitably have to go and... and get
1: more foreign students to help pay the bills over the next few years? Well, I think it would be a mistake to think about foreign students simply as a source of revenue. Um, Foreign students also bring a lot with them. So they bring a diversity to the campus. They bring a kind of international perspective to the campus. They allow us to build up international relationships with other universities globally in terms of student exchange, in terms of faculty and research. So, you know, international students is not just about, uh, you know, can we find ways to pay the bills Um, I think there's a realisation if you want to be a global university that means you have to be global in how you recruit students and faculty and how you behave but having said that international students do provide a disproportionate financial return to the institution and you know, there's no way that we will be able to move away from that in the current kind of funding environment that's there. So they will remain a consistent part, but they bring a huge amount of benefits beyond just uh, uh, just the income. So, but it could go to 50 percent. I don't see it going to the upper end of that spectrum. You know, I think uh, um, there's a significant demographic bubble actually coming in Ireland. There's going to be twenty-five percent more school leavers by. 2030 than there were, and I think it was 2015, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's a huge kind of uh, opportunity, and Trinity expects to play its role in taking in its proportion of that student growth as it comes. And that's another reason behind the idea of a second campus for the university, which is that if you think about that level of growth, you know, Trinity uh, only maybe 10 years ago would have been around 12,000 students, we're drifting towards 20,000 students. That could drift up to 23, 24,000 students, you know. We've been having the same campus in the city centre now for 400 years. Um, Most new buildings in that campus at the moment require us to knock down the previous buildings. So it's a zero-sum game. So if you think about what's the role Trinity can play for the city and indeed for the country, if we take that growth of students in, we take that kind of ambition to grow the research agenda, if you take the understanding that for... Uh, Ireland to be an attractive location for global companies to do research and innovation, they need to have that space too. Then you begin to think, well, actually, a single answer to that, although it's not a panacea, is to think about a new kind of campus that can enable all of those things in one t- in one go.
0: The examples that I mentioned earlier and that were touted uh, last week when this was first announced, um, like Crick Institute, London, Station F, Paris, a few others, um, there, there are two schools of thinking on those in terms of investing in city campuses um, the, the points that you make uh, are well taken there's another school of thought which says that they end up being more property plays you know substantially for the companies uh, that in, that invest in them more so maybe that than an investment in um, in you know, a pure investment in research or in uh, intellectual. Um, Endeavour um, on this. Uh, first of all, is that is that criticism? Is there any validity to that criticism? Well, I think
1: it's fair to say that you will see investment in city centre real estate that will be treated as a as a kind of property play. I mean, I think there's a couple of con- components maybe to unpack there. So the idea for this innovation district is not as simple as a campus. The idea actually is that the campus is the kind of catalyst that unlocks the potential of the broader innovation district, which is kind of a kilometre-wide space within the city. I suppose people have been calling it Silicon Docks for a while, but mm-hmm. that would incorporate the kind of area where we've got many of the kind of global tech companies uh, based. I think you could probably say it's
0: three to four kilometres now. I mean, if you, there, there are areas of the north docks now that you yeah. definitely say are part of it. But yeah. There's... Parts that go all the way to Dublin 4 as well.
1: Yeah, so I I think
0: that's right. Um, And down to Dublin 8.
1: So, I mean, I think, uh, so so will, if we get this going as a project, as our ambition is, will that add value to real estate that surrounds that campus and indeed that part of the city? I suppose the answer is probably yes. Um, But we've already seen huge value added to that real estate over the last decade or more. So, I mean, uh, it doesn't for people who are based in Dublin or are familiar with Dublin, you don't have to think that long back to realise that was a very unattractive part of the city 15 years ago. It is probably now where some of the most expensive real estate in the country, if not Europe, is based, you know. So there has been a real estate play there, independent of what Trinity does or doesn't do. I suppose what Trinity is trying to do is to say, very simply, we've actually built up in the Grand Canal Dock, one of Europe's leading enterprise co-location zones, we've got about, I think it's about 80,000 people working there now linked to global tech companies and the companies that support them. How do we do something that is more strategic? How do we begin to use the real estate in that part of the city to connect those companies together, to get kind of more collaboration between them, to get that kind of economic spillover from those large companies to the startup companies in the ecosystem? To get those companies more research active on the ground here, because although we've got a lot of large tech companies here, it would be an overstatement to say that those companies are doing significant levels of research and innovation. No, they don't. They don't don't do that much here. Yeah. So (laughs) we really need to think about how we can grow that and evolve that. That becomes really important to the long term stickiness of those companies to the ecosystem. And so this campus is about trying to find ways to encourage those companies, not to put hundreds of people on the campus. That's not the ambition, but to place teams of 30 or 40 researchers or engineers or computer scientists on the campus who'd be working on innovation projects for the business. So that at the end, you could have on one piece of real estate, the best that we have to offer as a country from an academic research perspective, not just Trinity, but the Dublin universities and beyond the best of what we have to offer from a corporate research and innovation perspective and the best of what we have to offer from a high potential startup perspective and having that density and critical mass all co-located at one site creates a kind of proposition that becomes self-fulfilling in terms of the attractiveness to talent from abroad coming to want to work in Ireland, the attractiveness to new FDI coming in, to venture funding coming into the ecosystem and it provides that kind of one-stop-shop visibility to the global <laughs> community that we're serious about what we're doing here. I mean, that's what you hope. That's um, that's what we're hoping. Now, yeah. I suppose you could look to places
0: like London, like UCL, the Crick Institute. There are areas in London where, in theory, the UK should not be an attractive place right now for a spike in investment by big multinational tech companies. But yet you look at all the big life science companies and the tech companies and they're all circling around a couple of zones in London. Yeah. And that is chiefly because or in large part because of the third level institutions that have formed bases basis uh, there. So I'm presuming you're looking at that
1: and that plays a large part in what you're talking about. Yeah, so. London's a great example, (coughs) for the very reason you say. I mean, I visited here east, which is where the old Olympic Park uh, was from the 2012 Olympics and has now been turned into kind of a large innovation hub. And UCL have uh, created space there for its second campus in London. Uh, Imperial are developing a second campus in a place called White City in London and really looking to develop the same kind of innovation, enterprise, academic mix. And then around uh, King's Cross in London, where the Crick Institute is, where the British Library is you're seeing another zone where, again, particularly around life sciences, those companies are coming. So I think there's a proven model there that works, and there's been a lot of work done by uh, the Brookings Institute, which is a UK, our US kind of think house around this. I mean, there's other models that are um, different than that. So it, Station F in Paris has become a great reference point in Europe. Now, Station F has been built in an abandoned kind of old... Uh, um, a railway terminal in France uh, in Paris um, and but that's been focused really on startups. so the idea can we get an agglomeration of about a thousand startups in one location? Uh, running acceleration programs, bringing in the venture community from the East and West Coast in the US, bringing in the kind of accelerator programs from all the large corporates in the world. And they've done an amazing job in two years in building that kind of critical mass on the ground without connecting it in the same way back to universities or to large corporates. See, what I get excited about is I think in Dublin, we've got a chance to kind of build the best of what we've seen in other jurisdictions here because it's very rare to have that kind of, even in London, that kind of grouping of companies so proximate to each other as we have in the Grand Canal Key part of the city. It's also unusual. Uh, Again, London is a little bit like this, but it's very unusual internationally now to have universities in the city centre. Most universities have moved out of the city centre. Uh, And ironically, that seemed very sensible 15 or 20 years ago. And now what we've seen in the last 20 years is that all the investment that used to go to the suburbs is coming back into the city. So, an example in Ireland would be you know, Intel and IBM and HP, all the mm. big campuses. And that was where all the investment went in the 90s. All the investment now, well, not all the investment, but a significant proportion of investment now comes into the city. Well, all the
0: small to medium-sized mm. tech companies,
1: the vast majority of them are sort of within the city now. Within the city. And so we're seeing this kind of social dynamic change. We're seeing this financial investment direction change. We're seeing a kind of reshaping of cities around the world in terms of the role they play. And so we've this huge opportunity. We've got this great corporate mix there. We've got a vibrant startup community growing year on year. And we've still got, in Ireland, through Trinity, uh, physical real estate for universities in the city. And actually, DCU and uh, UCD and the Technological University are actually all very proximate to the city too. You know, mm. if you draw a five-mile radius around the city... You'd bring in all of the big universities in Dublin, you know, well over 100,000 students. That becomes hugely attractive as a kind of draw for corporate investment. <clears throat> so it's really about how do we create a kind of... So I suppose the challenge I would give is um, at the moment, I think people accept that innovation will help to define a country's competitiveness. You know, issues like uh, tax differentiation will become uh, less so. And people are going to look at the availability of talent, the availability of research and innovation as part of the mix that's going to help differentiate a country. You know, what do we have at the moment that differentiates Ireland? And the challenge is we don't have a lot, you know. Um, We've got universities that are very credible internationally. We've got research centers that are credible internationally, but so do most large cities around the world. And the challenge behind this innovation district concept is, well, actually we can begin to differentiate by organising ourselves better, by connecting ourselves better, by building a kind of physical mass in the centre of this ecosystem that can actually become that kind of defining component of our innovation ambition as a country. Not that it's the singular component, by any stretch of imagination it's not that, but it's something that will create that international visibility for what we're about as a country. And that's what we see as this huge opportunity. Just the last thing <clears throat> I'll um
0: ask is it's related to one or two of the points we've talked about before. I read to the elite issue. When this was announced, I wrote a story on it and I tweeted it out, and a lot of the replies that I got back from non-headbangers, from ordinary people, well fairly really well adjusted people, it was kind there was a lot of a tone of of oh, this is gonna be kind of a another kind of part of the city that's kind of zoned off from most ordinary citizens, it's going to be tech multinationals who go in, who already have billions and billions, Um, and this essentially is another big chunk of the city that is now being, and I'm just repeating what I understand this this kind of objection to be, that's going to represent a kind of an island that has little to do with ordinary citizens. And I'm wondering if a lot of the tech companies in are now fairly unpopular, and it's not just because of Cambridge Analytica, and it's not just in media companies who hate that they've taken uh, advertising revenue. It's in Dublin, it, they're associated with high rents, for example, because they pay very well, and they are in the city centre, and that means that um, it's difficult for non-tech workers to afford um, apartments. And going back to this 150 million from the government, and the fact the government are, you know, they're, they're taking their time, and they're... Being a little bit cool about coming out and saying yes, the money's definitely there. I wonder if politically and culturally, this is going back to the elite argument. You know, is this a more difficult time to sell nationally, or to the public, or to the citizens and denizens of Dublin this space? Because all of the all, everything we've talked about. Um, in this podcast has been about the economic and, and the uh, industrial benefits that would accrue. And we didn't even get into the, um, the, the consultation, but there was, there, was a, there was one report which suggested that uh, it would have a 3.2 billion euro mm. economic benefit to, to, to the city. But on the social side and on the cultural acceptance side, I'm wondering, do you think it's, it's a slightly more difficult pitch
1: at the moment, a slightly more difficult sell? Well, I would agree with a lot of what you've said and that's been core to our thinking on this for the last number of years. So I think it's fair to say that uh, as Silicon Docks or Grand Canal Key has developed over the last decade, uh, a lot of that development from the corporate perspective has been inward looking. So when you walk down the streets in that part of the city, there's not a lot of ground floor activation, there's not a lot of visibility into what's going on within those organisations. And that has left a bad taste in them out to some extent to the local community. When we think about this campus, we think about it in a very different way, almost as the antithesis of that. You know, So what we're talking about is creating a new open public space in that part of the city, What you have to remember now is the existing Trinity campus on College Green is probably the most visited piece of real estate in the city centre. You know, we have over a million plus visitors every year coming into the Bucket Kells, many others, millions who come in and just enjoy the campus as this beautiful asset in the city centre we see the new Trinity Campus in Gran Canale playing the same role. You know, We see it being a large public square there. We see there being places for the communities to meet and engage. We see it as being a location that will be attractive for visitors who want to come and uh, look at Dublin and see how it's evolving. We see it playing a very dynamic role with the local community where they feel that this is going to be a new piece of land that's unlocked to them, not locked off from them. Um, so we see a very different kind of perspective. We also see that actually... It's very important you bring culture into this campus because, I think if you look at the financial services center as an example, which in some ways economically has been a great success, uh, I think people would say socially it feels very uh, dead in the evenings, yeah, weekends doesn't have that kind of vibrancy. We really want to avoid that. You know, we've got the Board Gosh Theater directly across uh, the street from this campus. You know, which is. S- the single largest kind of entertainment venue really in the country in terms of filling it night, ab- night after night. We've got a growing kind of hotel, restaurant, coffee shop scene coming in that area. S- slowly evolving, but it is evolving. But what we really want to do with this campus is we want to create new cultural spaces. We want to create new spaces where people can meet, connect, engage. We want it to feel like a university campus, which by definition should be open public space. People can walk through it. People can engage in it. People can come into meetings there. There'll be a lot of things going on. So and actually what we're doing this year, so I think it's important to kind of get a sense around this. The Innovation District and the campus, you know, are uh, connected things, but they're different things. The campus will take about a decade to develop. The Innovation District can start developing immediately because we can work with the asset set that's there and begin to organise them and connect them. And to do that, we're doing an early activation strategy on the campus this year where we're going to be renovating some buildings that will eventually be knocked down. But in the interim period, they're going to play that role. We're opening a new community space on the campus for that local community to come in and engage. Simple things like homework clubs, like clubs for spaces where people come in and have uh, coffee mornings for the elderly, silver surfing clubs. You know, We're working with the St Andrews Resource Centre on that. I mean, we do not have this uh, cracked by any stretch of the imagination. But I would fully embrace those concerns and think if we don't find ways to deal with those concerns, we'll have failed somewhere down the road. Because for this campus to work, it can't be that kind of closed off enterprise focused community. It needs to be something that feels like a new piece of Dublin that people can engage with and get benefit from.
0: Will there be, and um, that's quite a good point to leave off on, but I, I just on the campus itself, you, when you compare it to Trinity's existing campus, you've got the a lot of very impressive architecture there, and you get the feeling grand uh, you know,
1: grandiosity when you when you walk in.
0: Architecturally, do you have any ambitions for this new
1: space? Oh, absolutely! I think there needs to be some really kind of compelling buildings on the campus. It can't just look and feel like another city block. You know, uh, it needs to stand out as a kind of place. And the way we think about it again is that. Trinity is not building this for a 20 year timeline or a 30 year timeline. We see this as being a piece of university infrastructure for the next number of centuries. And so we want to make sure that we put in place the kind of care and quality of building that will, you know, okay, it may not last centuries, but we'll make a statement about what we're going to try and do. So we have been doing some uh, early kind of master planning about what that campus could look like, looking at the kind of set of buildings that might be there, how they'll connect together. The kind of public spaces that will be there, the connection between that campus and the water and how that will all fit together. The kind of new streetscapes that will go through that site, you know, to benefit the kind of city as a whole and the local community. We haven't done what I would call deep architecture on that yet, but uh, that will begin probably in the next 12 months or so. And is there somebody who has a vision for this, even the basic rudimentary
0: uh, plan that you're talking about now?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, uh, what we will be doing in the next number of months is bringing that draft master plan out for consultation, again, very broadly with the local community, but, you know, with the enterprise community, with government, you know, with the other universities that we very much want to play a part within this uh, within this development. And so, you know, that's going to be part of what we'll do over the next number of months. Um, and then what we hope to do towards the end of the year is to bring the whole project out to the development community to look about raising some of that development capital that will come in to is support Is that the it. point
0: when Johnny Ronan comes in and says that's great
1: but I want to it'd be better with a 60 story high rise in the middle? <laughs> well, it is the point <laughs> where we're going to see developers bring their uh, um I suppose their ideas to the table. Um, one of the things we've been careful about here from kind of publishing a manifesto around this 18 months ago is that You know we want to be very clear about the principles that will underpin this campus from the beginning and the kind of research that's going to take place and the kind of tenants that we want to have on the campus and the kind of connection it needs to have with the local community if a developer can come in and find really interesting ways to do that that we haven't thought about we're open to that but if they come in and want to use the site for something completely different you know that's not the ambition
0: okay Dr. Dermot O'Brien, Chief Innovation and Enterprise Officer with Trinity College. Dublin, Thank you very much for joining the podcast today. And that is all we have time for this week, folks. So thank you very much again uh, for uh, listening and tuning in our first podcast of 2020. And I look forward to the next 51. From me, Adrian Wackman, Tech Editor of The Irish and Sunday Independent. Bye bye for now.